Show of hands. Who's seen the movie? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay. Great movie. Funny. Got, got some language in it. Not so great, but you know, most of you who've seen that will remember uh, after the escape, after the escape from prison, uh, George Clooney and the other two losers that are with him <clears throat> are holed up in this barn and hiding out. And so they've been found out. The warden comes. There's looks like 15 or 20 hired guns with him. They set the barn on fire, and they're outside shooting at him with the barn on fire. And so George Clooney walks over to the hay window and with, with a few choice words shown, thrown in there, walks over to the hay window and says, we're in a tight spot, in a tight spot. Perhaps that's true of you. You've seen life through a lens that's put you in a tight spot. In fact, some people I know I've talked to go from tight spot to tight spot to tight spot to tight spot, seemingly. And there are those moments in life, there are those, there are those passages, those, those, those situations where we didn't ask for this, I didn't go seeking this. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, we're, we're trying to find trouble. Not looking for the wilderness. That's where I find myself. In a place of seeming isolation and attack and temptations coming and tests are coming. And I didn't seek this out. I didn't go looking for it, but here I am. Now what do I do? How do I, how do I make the most of this? Turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking today and for the next three weeks at Jesus' experience in the wilderness. In the desert, some translations will say. Both are true. Both refer to the same place. But let's read that story together. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now, here's Jesus preparing for his three and a half years of ministry or so here on earth with this excursion into the wilderness, into the desert, into, into, into a place of difficulty. There's some great things to learn here. We're going to glean a lot over the next, over the next two or three weeks here, but there's some great things to learn here, one of which is this this morning is learning how to leverage adversity. Leveraging adversity is key to our not only surviving in the wilderness, but winning in the wilderness. Now, first thing I want us to see is leveraging adversity begins <clears throat> with the Spirit. Look back with me at verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit into the desert. Now, the source of Jesus' trial, his temptation, his test, was the source for the Son of God was the Spirit of God. Now, it doesn't seem very typical that God would lead God into the desert, yet that's exactly what happens. So what does that say? It should say to us that there are situations in life where, get this, now this is vital, there are situations in life where God protects us from adversity. 
situations in life where God allows adversity and in situations in life where God brings adversity. All to test us, all to, 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 to put us through a place of saying, are you with me? Are you with me? Do you see me? Are you following me? Are you walking with me? Are you getting it? Are you learning what you need to learn here? Now, that process is altogether up to him. Now, he does those things, Romans eight twenty eight says, for our good and his glory. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if that's true, and it is, there's no test, there's no temptation, there's no hard place, there's no wilderness, there's no adversity we face on our own that's not for our good. So if that's the case, and it is, then he leads us or allows us sometimes into those places to learn those things, not only about him, but about ourselves as well. He protects us from adversity. Sometimes he allows it. Sometimes he brings it. This is the spirit of God by the command of God the Father. God the Spirit is leading God the Son into the desert, into a wilderness, saying to us, if I'm in it, I'll use it. If I'm in it, I'll bring glory to myself with it. If I'm in it, there'll be your betterment at the end of it. Great lesson in that for us because oftentimes God, and we'll see this a little later in today's message, doesn't tempt us but allows temptation. In fact, even makes it creates opportunities where temptation can flourish to see, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you staying with me? Are you seeing what I need you to see? Are you learning what I need you to learn? So here's Jesus finding himself in this place. Uh, so the, the, the essence there is if, if you find yourself in a hard place, know that God has either caused it or allowed it to occur. He's not taken aback by it, not surprised by it, but intends to use it, as he says here, for your, <clears throat> for your good and his glory. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken you, verse 13, that is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, whether you dis- disagree or agree with what he's doing or what he's up to, he's always up to something for your good and for his glory. He knows what's best for you. He created you before you're in the womb. He says, I formed you. I formed your inward parts. I know the things you need more than you know the things you need, and I know this is for your good. And so walking in this hard place, in this, in this place of adversity, in the desert, in the wilderness, in, in isolation and being alone, walking through this place will show you something that only this place can show you. Only this experience can show you. There have been those situations probably in your life. If you've been a believer more than a few years, you've walked in hard places with him. You, you've seen sides of him that you would have never seen outside of that hard place. You've seen situations and learned his ways and his nature and heard, learned to hear his voice more clearly, learned to be sensitive to his spirit more clearly in those places that you would not have otherwise gleaned from. And so while all of us would like life just to bounce from mountaintop to mountaintop, life doesn't happen that way, does it? There are valleys in there. There are hard places in there. There are learning places in there. There's some grit. There's grind to that. And so that's in the grid and in the grinds where he says, you're going to see me there more than you see me anywhere. You're going to learn some things from me there more than anywhere. I'm the one who allowed this to happen. I'm the one who, in fact, possibly even brought it and encouraged it into your life to show you a side of yourself and a side of me that you would never otherwise see. Secondly, leveraging adversity not only begins with the spirit, but anticipates the environment. Look at the next phrase. He was led by the spirit into the desert. Led by the spirit into the desert. The desert. What is true about the desert physically is also true about places the enemy attacks us. Three things here that, I, that, are, that are of note. One is this. He's isolated there in the desert. It's a place of isolation in the wilderness. 
Uh, he seldom comes after us when we're in a crowd. He seldom tempts us when we're together. Why? Because he knows we can sustain each other. We, we can build each other up. We can encourage each other. And so these, his trials, his temptations, his, his pokes, his prods at us usually come in isolation. They usually come when we're alone. Usually come when we're defenseless. Usually come when our guard is down. That's what isolation does. That's, that's part of what being in the desert does to us. It feels, makes us feel isolated. Secondly, not only is there isolation, it's a barren place. It's a place where nothing grows, where as far as you see, you're seeing the same thing for miles and miles and miles. And it appears there's no way out. There's no way of escape. There's no way to say, ah, an oasis, or ah, a door, or ah, a pathway, or ah, a road out of this. No, it looks looks like in every direction you turn, I'm seeing the same thing in every direction. I'm seeing adversity in every direction. And so in in those barren places, uh, it's where the enemy says, there is no way out. I've got you. I've got you where I want you. But what did 1 Corinthians 10 say? It says, I'll never tempt you, but what I don't provide a way of escape. I'll never bring something into your life that there's not a door, a window out of. If we're looking for that door, for that window, and listening and sensitive to his spirit, he'll show those places to us. But a barren place, it's hard to see. It's hard to see a way out. It's hard to see a door. It's hard to see a window because he has us in in a place of isolation, first of all, in a place that's barren, second of all, to say, I've got you. I've got you exactly where I want you, and there's no place you can go to get out of this. Thirdly, a desert not only is isolated and barren, but a desert is hot. And doesn't it seem so that when we find ourselves in a hard place, that's when the enemy starts to turn the heat up, starts to turn the pressure up to say, can you take this? Can you stand this? Where's your God now? Where's the love of Jesus now as you're facing a hard place physically? As you're you're facing financial difficulty, as you're facing a job loss, as you're facing a death, as you're you're facing a a relationship that's broken, where's your God now? Where is he when you're under pressure? Where is he when things aren't working? Where is he when life isn't clicking for you anymore? Where is he he then? And we learn, as I said, things that only only the desert, only the place of isolation and barren can teach us. But it's with the heat and with the pressure that brings out who we really are. Whether we're serious with walking with God or whether we're not, whether it's just face candy, if we're serious about walking with him, we'll be able to look the enemy in the eye and say, God is still here, even though life is hard. There's no promise in this book to make life easy. And believe me, I've looked for them. There's no promise in this book to say, listen, you do these three things, and life works all the time. Not there. You know why? Because life doesn't work all the time. We're in a broken world, in a broken place, with broken people. And why do we expect anything besides brokenness when we're in those situations? But here we are, finding ourselves in a place of isolation, in a place that's barren, in a place that's hot, if we know that, that, that a significant temptation coming to us is environmental, we learn to anticipate the environment. See, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, into, into, into the desert, into a hard place, not unknowingly. Jesus knew exactly where he was going, why he was going there, what, what things were up to. And so if you and I can anticipate those kinds of environments, we'll learn to steer clear of them. If the enemy could get us in those environments around those people in that place, in that situation, in isolation and alone, he can get us exactly to where he wants us to go. Yet if we find ourselves in those isolation and lone places, you know what we need? To get out of them, to get out of aloneness, to get out of isolation. And he tells us over and over again, and you've heard this story from him as well as I have, you're the only one that's walking through this. You're the only one. There's nobody else that, that, that would understand what, if you, if you wanted to share this with nobody, if somebody else that would look at you strange and say, good, I hope that, well, I'll pray for you. You're the only one that's ever experienced this. You're the only one that's ever walked here. And the truth is, that's another lie, straight from hell, straight from, should smell like smoke to us, to say, 
No, we're not alone, and no, we're not the only one, and no, we're not in isolation, and no, it, it's not barren, and no, it doesn't have to be, the heat doesn't have to be turned up. We can find a place of peace, a place of, just like Christ did, as we'll see more next week, we'll find a place of assurance, a place of confidence to say, there's, some, there's something going on here bigger than what you see. There's more going on here than what, what is revealed on the surface. And so, as we find ourselves in those places of isolation and being alone, we need to guard against the environments that are that temptation is going to occur. If I know that at a phone call with this person or showing up in this place or going to this 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 location over here, or, or finding myself in front of a computer screen late at night, or finding if I know those situations are are going to be temptation situations, I need to move from them. I need to <clears throat> excuse me find another environment. I need to get myself out of that environment and into an environment where folks are around. As I said earlier, he seldom attacks us when we're together. It's always when we're alone, when we're in isolation. And if those environments are ripe to temptation, guess what? Find another environment. It begins with the Spirit, anticipates the environment. Thirdly, leveraging adversity, recognizes the enemy. He was led by the Spirit into the desert. Third phrase is to be tempted by, by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. We'll seldom defeat him until we learn to recognize him. And he's a master of disguise. He's a master of deception. Uh, as, I've, as I've shared with you so many times in John eight forty four, he's a master liar. He's the father, the scripture says, of every, the originator of every lie. Deception is his native, tongue. That's all, his native tongue. That's all he knows how to speak. That's all he knows how to utter is deception, half-truths, dark truths, li- outright lies. And all he, that, that, his, that is his game plan. It's always been his game plan. It's always going to be his game plan. Don't ever expect Satan to tell you the truth. He's not. He can't because that's who, that he would expose who he is. If we recognize him and can see him coming, it's far easier to see how to, how to plan for him. Now listen to this verse, uh, a couple of verses from Ephesians 6, to, uh, 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Seeing and understanding his ways, getting hip to his schemes is the key to recognizing when he's coming and seeing his ways, seeing his nature, seeing the angles that he works for, uh, to us and from us. So if we can see, see that and anticipate it coming, it's far easier to recognize him. Um, was it Conway Twitty? Conway Twitty, boy, that's dating me, isn't it? Was it Conway Twitty that had the song... Uh, devil's got a blue, got his blue jeans on, or some. The devil's got blue jeans on. Somebody had a country song to say. In essence, when the devil stands up and knocks at your door, he's good looking, and he's attractive, and he's he's who who you would not expect to see in the devil. And that's exactly how he works. He disguises himself. He shrouds himself in in seeming seeming beauty, seeming uh, things that work and, and, and would draw our attention to to him or to that temptation. Yet. He's a master liar. He's a master deceiver. He's a father of every lie, the scripture says. So that recognizing him and learning, get this, this is pivotal, learning to separate him from them is key. Because Satan will put people in your life to pull you into environments that are not healthy for you and pull you into conversations that aren't healthy for you and pull you into the nature of thinking that isn't healthy for you or isn't godly either one. Yet if we can learn to separate him from them, will recognize his ways because though he may be using them in the, in the moment, they're not the enemy. That's what Ephesians 6 says. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy doesn't have skin on. Our enemy is the enemy, the devil. 
And he uses people, yes, and he uses environments and situations, yes, he does, but he's the one who's behind those situations. So if we can learn to isolate him from them, it's far easier to see what he's up to and recognize his ways, recognize, as the scripture says, his schemes, the schemes that he's up to. That's key because he is the source, get this, biblically, he is the source of all temptation. Now, as we see here with the Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness, God is behind the opportunity and leads us into opportunities to be tempted and leads us into tests to test our faith. But he will not ever, ever, get this, ever tempt you. Never. All temptation is from the devil. All temptation is from the master deceiver, the master liar, the master schemer. All temptation is. So if we can recognize who he is, where he's coming from, and how he works, it's far easier to build our defenses against him. It's far easier to surround ourselves with people to say, will you pray for me, man? I'm I'm facing something today where I know the enemy is going to be attacking me in. I'm facing a conversation. I'm facing a situation. I'm facing an encounter where I know the enemy is going to be all over that if I let him. Will Will you pray? If you start to surround yourself with prayer, surround yourself with people who want those godly things for you, guess what? You're going to recognize him when he comes. You're going to see his face. You're going to recognize his hand and say, not today. I may be in a point of weakness tomorrow. I may be in a point of isolation next week, but not today. I see you today. I recognize you today and what you're up to. If we can see him coming, we can far better defend ourselves against him. And that's exactly what, uh, what is happening here to Jesus in the wilderness. He recognizes the enemy. Well, leveraging adversity not only begins with the spirit and anticipates the environment and recognizes the enemy, but in verse 2, leveraging adversity avoids desperation. Look at verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, guess what? He was hungry. <laughs> Duh. According to the American Medical Association, your body starts to turn inward on you and starts to eat away at itself after about 30 days without food. And there's other, there's other chemical and, and, and mental things that start to occur with that. Not only does your body start to eat away, eat away at itself, your blood flow starts to slow down and gets more and more erratic. Consequently, the, bre- the blood flow to the brain starts to slow down, and you start to figure out, I can't manage this. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing things in this situation I've never seen before. I'm, I'm starting to, to be bothered by things I've never been bothered by before. Things are getting to me that never used to get to me before. It's the nature of being without nutrition. And so imagine yourself, put yourself in Jesus' situation. Here he was, fasting for 40 days, and then after that 40-day fast, hitting into the hottest, most isolated, most, most alone, most vulnerable place he could ever walk. That was a picture of desperation. If, if there ever was a picture of desperation, this was it. And you've probably been in those situations before, maybe not after a 40-day fast, but you've been in a situation before that seemingly are desperate. How do I get out of this? How is, there, how do I, is there a window? Is there a door? How do I escape this situation? How do I move beyond this failure? How do I get beyond this sense of loss? How do I get beyond the, the, the lack of understanding I've got about that that I may never have about that? How do I move beyond today? And the desperation that comes from that is, as I said earlier, from the enemy because he has us in isolation, has us alone, has us barren, has us hot, has us under pressure. And the, the culmination of those things brings to us a sense of desperation. And so here Jesus finds himself in a desperate place. Um, that Now, as I said, that not only has obvious physical ramifications, but mental ramifications as well. And so you can imagine being all God, yet all man, being all spiritual, yet all physical, having the same sense of problems and turmoil and angst that you and I would have in those situations, in, in, in that same situation. I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, and I, I fasted before and prayed before the Lord, but never for 40 days. 
In fact, four days is probably the outside of where I've been for the most. I've, I've done three and four day fasts in my life, but never for 40 days. And so I can't imagine, I, I can take the word of the AMA to say your body starts to fall apart after, but I, can, I can't, but I can't imagine what that's like to walk in that place. Yet here he was. Why? To get rid of every encumbrance, to get rid of every crutch, to get rid of everything to stand on, to say, I'm at my most vulnerable place. And I'm going to find out more about myself at this most vulnerable place with the enemy staring me face to face than I will ever find out in any other place. We don't go running looking for places like that. But you know what? We learn things about ourselves and about our God in those places that we'll never learn otherwise. And so you combine the hunger, combine the isolation, and you've got a desperate situation, situation here with Jesus and with us too. I wonder, and I thought about this this week as I was preparing this message, how far would desperation cause me to go? If I'm hungry enough, would I steal to feed my family, to put food on my table? Would I, what would I do to keep a roof over my head? If I, how desperate would I have to be to step outside of what I believe to be true and know, and know to be right? How desperate would I have to be to do that? And the answer is, I don't know, because I've never been there. And most of you haven't either. You've never been wanting for something to eat, hungry. Never been lacking for a place to stay. And desperate situations cause us to do desperate things. And here's Jesus in a desperate situation, the most desperate physically and emotionally and mentally that he's been in to, to, to date in his life. He's a young man. He's starting to launch his ministry. And so he's, he is by the hand of God walking into this situation in the most desperate encounter and, and circumstances possible. So desperation will cause us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do yet. We're gonna, and as I say, we're going to find out in the weeks to come how he responds to that. But the suicide rate in America is climbing because, as if you, if you can believe what you read, the suicide rate is climbing because the perception of desperation is sometimes even greater than the desperation. The perception that my life isn't working, that I'm, I'm in a hard place, I'm in a desperate place, I'm in a place where there's no way out and no that's even harder than the real desperation itself because, you know, that here's, here's something else to be, that's, that's known to be true. Suicide is at a far higher rate among affluent families than it is families impoverished. Why is that? Because the deception is perceived. It's not real. When real deception occurs, life goes on. You, you bootstrap, you pull up, you, you pray to God for help, and you keep moving. But when perceived deception is there, it's even more powerful than the deception itself. What does that tell us? It tells us our mind will lie to us over and over and over and over again. And the enemy will use our very mental state, our very deprived and depraved state to say, there's no way out. You'll never move beyond this. You'll never get over this. You'll never get around this hurdle. And even if you do, you're going to be dragging this junk for the rest of your life with you. You'll never let go of this. You're going to be known for this. This is going to be part of your reputation. This is going to be who you are, and you'll never get beyond it. Even if your circumstances change, they might. You're going to carry this forever. And the truth is, as I said earlier, he's a master deceiver. He's a master schemer. He's a master liar. We can and do move beyond obstacles in life, move beyond adversity. We can leverage adversity for our good and his glory. Often, though, and here's the truth, we can't find out how big our God is until we find ourselves in a desperate place. When I hear of folks, and I, and I do often, uh, that's dealing with addiction, I often will, will plant a seed with that person or with that family to say, if you'll let them bottom out, the 
to see a side of God and of themselves they've never seen before. Now, I don't know how deep, how deep the bottom is for that person. You know you're their family member. But if you'll let them hit the bottom with no rescue, they'll find out that God is the only one there. When they pick up to, look up to realize, how in the world do I get beyond this? The only way I get beyond this is I cry out to God. And I find out in those, in those situations where there's, there's nothing but desperation as I look around, I find out either my God is real or I don't know him. Either, he, either he's trustworthy or I'm going to punt him forever and never walk with him again. Either I can count on him or I can't. He's true to his word or he isn't. And in those moments, in those situations in life, in those circumstances, in those places of pressure and isolation and barrenness and heat, and I find out who my God is. I find out what he's worth. I find out if he's real. And I find out if my faith is deep enough to handle and sustain walking through a hard place with him to get the lesson on the other side. I find those things out in a hard place. I find those things out in desperation. I find those things out in the wilderness. And that's sometimes the only place we'll get it. I wish it was easier. But when life's clicking, most of us don't need the Lord. When life's clicking, we don't need him. And we, we're, we're thankful. And we're thankful for the blessings. But there's little to learn when life's clicking. When life isn't clicking and life isn't working and things around me start to fall apart. And I find out I'm in, a, I'm in the desert. I didn't, seek the, I didn't seek this out. How in the world did this happen? It happened because God allowed it to teach me something about me and something about him. And as I learned things about me and I learned things about him, I learned the value of walking through a hard place. Now, again, I'm not going to go seeking it, but I'm not going to run from it next time it occurs. Why? Because I'll see a side of me and a side of him that I've never seen before outside the valley, outside the hard place, outside the difficult walk. And those situations, those desperate situations will cause us, as I said, to do and seek things that we'll never learn until we get to the end of ourselves. You know what? Jesus was at the end of himself, physically, emotionally, probably even spiritually to some degree because it was the Holy Spirit that led it, had to get him there in the first place. It was at the end of himself. And folks, it is at the end of you that you find out your God is real enough. He's big enough. He's loving enough. He's, he's caring enough. He's faithful enough to grab you. And pull you from the ashes and pull you out of a place that you would never otherwise glean from, gleaned anything from. And at the end of that, you look back on it and think, whoa, I just learned some things about myself and about him. Or I learned some things about who my friends really are. Or I learned some things about my spouse. I learned things, some things about my family. I learned some things about coworkers. I learned some things about people around me and myself and my God that I would never have otherwise seen had I not experienced that. And the that that we would otherwise have ran from is the that that teaches us a part of him that we never otherwise would have seen. Wildernesses are not bad places. Desert places are not bad places. They are hard places, but they're not bad places. Why? Because God, either, as we looked at earlier, he either allows them, he causes them, brings them into our life to show us a side of us and a side of him that we never, never would have seen otherwise. So a question here today as we wrap up in an observation, that's this. How would your life be different Today, had you learned to respond differently to adversity? How would your life be different today had at some point in the past you learned to leverage adversity and respond to it differently instead of cave to it? Now, I don't say that to, to regurgitate a hard place or a hard time and force you to relive it, but because the past is the past and we need to learn to, to move beyond that and learn. And, 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 but there are lessons there. There are lessons in hard places, as I said, that we'll never get otherwise. 
When we find ourselves, though, moving beyond the place, the hard place, a place of adversity, a place that's, that's real, and a place that, that we, as I said, a full isolation, no escape. Nobody's, nobody's ever walked through this but you. You're, you're alone. You're, there's no way out. You're, I've got you. In those places, we learn how obvious our enemy is. We learn how provisional our God is. And we learn how true our faith is in those hard places. If we're going to win in the wilderness, we're going to learn how to leverage adversity. We're going to have to learn how to leverage adversity because what? Adversity is a part of life. It's a part of life. Who, who, would, who, who, who could think up cancer being a good thing? Who could figure out loss, making me a better person? Who could, who could foresee failure, refining who I am? It is those things that God works and uses and, and, and manipulates and, 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 and stirs and uses the ingredients to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to shape you into this. They would otherwise never have walked and been or seen even. But these hard places are the vehicle to getting there. Hard places are the vehicle to learning this about yourself and this about me. So don't avoid those. Don't run from those. Now, you don't run to them. But if I realize God is in them, when I see that he is in them and is going to use them, um, it is a place where I can not only run to, but find some solace in, find even a place of peace in to say, I, I don't understand my circumstances. I don't get all of what's going on, but I know God's in it. And if he's in it, I'm good with it because there's a, there's a better me at the end of this, whatever this is. Victory has a lot to do with how we position ourselves. Whether we find ourselves to be easy targets for the enemy to hit or hard targets. If we find ourselves in loneliness, in isolation, in desperation, we're easy targets. We're easy targets for him. But if we find ourselves in community with other people, doing life with other people, seeing some mutual challenge, iron sharpening iron, walking in places with folks that says, I want to encourage you, I want to pray with you, and I need your encouragement, I need your prayer too in my life to say, this is better, this is good, this is and we can only see that in community with each other because why? The enemy says, you're, you're, you're alone, you're isolated, you're never... And each other says, no, you're not alone, I'm with you. Each other says, no, you're not alone, your God is here. Each other says, no, you're not alone, you have the Spirit of God in you, walking you through a difficult place. We need others to help us. Uh, we don't... Most of us don't do well on our own. We don't do well alone. We think we do, we think we got it together, but we're not, and we don't. And we need others, we need community. Yet here, <clears throat> here Jesus finds himself totally isolated and totally alone, and we're going to we're going to walk a little deeper into that next week. Learn some things about him and about our Savior that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. But the, the wilderness is winnable; it is winnable. But we got to see it. We got to see its value, and we got to see that it's a means to a better end for me and a better understanding of Him. When I see those things, I'm not intimidated by it anymore. I don't welcome it, but I'm not intimidated by it anymore. Why? Because a better me, a more Christ-like me is at the end of it, and a more Christ-like understanding of who my God is is there as well. Let's pray.